Hi, Lucas, what was your first computer? My first computer, I think, was an 8286. Oh. I'm not sure anymore, but it was a Unisys system from my dad. Okay, so your dad young. What you did with the computer? Well, my dad bought it for me so I wouldn't break his. I was just breaking his computer all the time, trying commands like format, what oh. does format do? <laughs> you how know you knew things. about format? Okay. So how you found out about format? Just just you I just tried everything I could. I mean, there was a MS DOS system, and you could try some commands, and then suddenly I found this directory where all the commands were in, and I tried them one by one, and then <laughs> my dad didn't like that. Okay. <laughs> So it means it's a good strategy if you would like to have a new computer, try everything on your dad's computer and you probably get a new one, right? Exactly. So I'm already prepared when my own kids try these kind of things. <laughs> yeah, but there are no commands on the iPads, you know. That's the problem. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> so what was your first first con constructive command or program you wrote on the Unisys box? Well, at some point I discovered, uh, and this was a really great idea from Microsoft at the time, that there was QBasic installed with every um, Microsoft DOS installation. So with QBasic, I started programming, actually. I, I self-taught uh, myself uh, QBasic. I think I was 12 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's constructive, but I, I just tried out all sorts of commands like a plot, assign, curve, and this was really fascinating to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And you started immediately hacking, or your first interaction with the computer was a game? No, it was a game, Okay. obviously, yes. Which game yeah, did yeah. you like? Well, apart from the computer games, I also had a Nintendo, but on, on the computer, I don't know how, what they were called anymore, but they were really uh, fancy games I had. Uh, but I forgot, it was something about uh, space and astronauts. Okay. Yeah. Space Invaders or something like this, probably. No, it was later. So uh, Space in the Latest was before. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, so you did QBasic. What was your the, the, the most impressive stuff you did with the QBasic, you remember? So this was the first, you know, some drawings you said with uh, drawing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the most impressive thing I made with QBasic was a chat program. So uh, my dad's computer and mine could be linked with a serial cable and then we could chat. And we had a split screen and, and I just sent back and forth the characters that we were typing and it displayed immediately. So it wasn't, you didn't have to send the message. You, you just could see exactly what uh, what my dad was typing and, and vice versa. Yeah, now 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 we would need, you know, WebSockets and uh, what a React yes. programming to achieve the same. And you only needed a cable back then. Yeah, it was kind of weird chatting on the computer when you're just two meters across, right? So it's the cable was two meters, so we had yeah. to move the computers next to each other. So it wasn't really useful. <laughs> what I have to say uh, is, uh, as I started uh, study, I already uh, um, told it on the podcast, there were students and uh, in, in, so all the computers were in one room. And what I observed, you know, there were uh, students two meters apart and they chatted to each other. And oh, I said, yeah. why are you doing this? You can you know, move your head around or just talk to the other person. You don't need the computer. No, no, but it's cool, you know. So, I mean, this is, uh, there were cool. two computers, two, yeah. yeah, this was one table and they chatted back and forth. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, okay, this is nice to observe, right? This would be a, like, you know, scientific study, what you are doing here. But, uh, so yeah, it's not that strange. But uh, what's, uh, had QBasic the capabilities of networking? Well, it's it was very low level. You had to directly address the LPT for the parallel port or the uh, the COM port, so you could just send bytes to the port. Oh, kind of like an assembly. So it wasn't much more high level than assembly. It's not networking. It's just sending a byte to a port yeah. on the on the. Uh, I don't think in processor level it was possible. Yeah, it said Spectrum was basic. I I don't think it would be possible to integrate with the hardware. 
except you know the pick and yeah, pull. Okay. Yeah, I forgot how I forgot how it worked, but uh, it was it was perfectly possible. How how old you were back then? I th I think twelve maybe. But this is crazy. So you built with twelve a chat which interacted via cable with the same loopback, and uh, th this yeah. is crazy. I guess my dad thought so as well. <laughs> and and uh, and uh, you did it. I mean, your dad helped you, or you just did it? No, I just did it. Okay. He just used computer for for uh, for emails and these kind of things. For uh, no emails didn't exist yet. It was Word documents and stuff like that. Your dad was programmer. No, no, he's a sports um, teacher. So he used he just had to create Word documents and these kind of things. Okay. Now the conversation gets you know even more interesting. So uh, with twelve, you did your chat program uh, with networking uh, in QBasic. And uh, what happens then? So what was your next next challenge? You know, with the QBasic or at the, at the time uh, as a kid, yeah, I think when I was fifteen, I got uh, Turbo Pascal from someone. I, I don't remember who gave it to me, but I had Turbo Pascal, which was much more advanced. And I also started uh, poking into assembly. Mm -hmm. And uh, one program I wrote at the time, I discovered a lot of stuff about uh, uh, how assembly worked and interrupts. And I figured out that at the time with MS DOS, you could call some interrupt uh, routine where you can change the font of your uh, of your BIOS. Mm -hmm. So for your current session, you could change the font. So I would write, I, I've written uh, a font editor in Turbo Pascal with a UI and, and it was mouse capable and had some dialogues. Really low level and primitive. I didn't know about libraries and stuff like that. But with this editor, you could actually design a font for the 256 ASCII characters and then load that. So it would produce a little uh, assembly program that would load the font. And now, well, you have your handwriting on, on an MS-DOS machine. Unfortunately, I don't have the sources anymore, so I can't. I, I would really love to see that again, how I coded. It must be horrible spaghetti. Yeah. But it was really uh, fancy and, and exciting learning all this stuff. Why you did it? I mean, yeah, exactly. So was it you wanted I, to achieve so, something or you just, you know, this is interesting because uh, with... 12 or 15, you, you have a goal, usually. You would like to be someone... No, you don't, actually. Okay. But that's the point. I, I now have kids, and I see that, and I really envy them. They, they discover stuff without a goal. They're just exploring stuff. Uh -huh. And when they explore stuff, they learn stuff, and they want to learn new stuff. And it's just curiosity. It's just that. Okay. But, uh, interesting. But, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. But uh, what, what, what's interesting is, you no. Know, you could also discover other things, you know. Uh, why computers and why assembly and why fonts? That's the interesting part, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to go back to the 80s. I mean, this was really a very, very interesting time with computers. It just started. And from what I know, in hindsight, um, in the 80s, computers were really uh, advertised in marketing to, to boys. So I was probably a victim of this advertising, of this marketing by Microsoft and IBM and these companies. Um, so, so this was really an, a, a kind of a hobby that uh, these companies uh, suggested little boys would have, and not not just programming and these kind of things, but anyway, computers and games and whatever. Yeah. So, I guess I was just uh, a victim of this of this kind of marketing. Yeah. Um, to my personal liking, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I also think so because uh, for me it was similar. Also, you know, all the movies and everything was around computers, right? There was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Star Wars, so everything games. was cyber, right? Yeah. Cyber. And, and, yeah. And this would fascinated me. I mean, this is like a complete different world. Probably, this, yeah. Yeah. This was this was because now, 
I, I mean, computer is more like a coffee machine, you know. This is no more. Mm -hmm. This is not that the 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 whole you know thrill or fascination is no more there. Yeah, you can't even open them anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the time, you can open them and you can plug around and tear out the motherboard and replace it with something else, and that was fascinating as well. Yeah. Okay. This is really impressive. I mean, with the assembly, what you did back then, and uh, where you got the re or, or resources? Yeah, resources. You no, know, like, like uh, the information from books or magazines. I mean, you, in one point of time, you have to know which interrupt does what. The trial and error. Okay. So I also tried that, it's you know, really... with pick and pokes, but there was no <laughs> no result. Everything yeah. crashed frequently. A lot of persistence, I guess. A lot of persistence. A lot of uh, patience. Okay. So how much time you spend with your computer with 15? Way too much, obviously. Yeah. A day? <laughs> two, three hours? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. So after after Tuba Pascal, so was anything else with Tuba Pascal you did? No. I think uh, at the time then I, I was a teenager and then girls started becoming more interesting. So ah, okay. I kind of put that aside to some extent. I still played video games, but uh, I didn't program as much anymore, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And, and you are located in Switzerland, right? Yes, yes. Okay. St. Gallen, Switzerland. Ah, St. Gallen. So not far. Oh, I didn't knew that. So I uh, yeah. I, I think every time I'm in the Switzerland, I have to go through St. Gallen with the train, you know? So this is uh, yes, Margareten, St. Margareten, right? No. Uh, and then Saint yes, that's the other stop Yeah, exactly. the border. Okay. And, um, okay, so you did the Turbo Pascal, and uh, then... What happens after girls? I mean, the girls never ended, I, I would assume. But uh... yes, yes, of course, uh, I didn't abandon it entirely. I still, I still was very interested in this, all of this stuff. So I, I decided to study uh, software engineering. Well, it was called computer science at the uh, EPFL in Lausanne, okay. Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So I did that for five years and then started working as a Java developer in the end. First as a PHP developer and then Java. Later PHP, on. okay, and yeah. And uh, after Tuba Pascal, which which other programming language you you learned, or was just you know Tuba Pascal, and then you studied, and then was more or less Java, I assume. Well, at the university there were numerous ones, but I don't think they really count. It's okay. usually one semester of C plus plus, one semester of whatever. Yeah. Uh, but PHP was my first job, so well, during studies, uh, next to the studies, I had a, a forty percent job at the local web agency where we built a CMS. Mm -hmm with PHP and MySQL mostly, and obviously JavaScript a little bit, but at the time, most of the stuff was written in PHP. So mm -hmm. that was 2004, 2005, yeah. when PHP had its, uh, I'd say, high time when everyone was coding PHP. And after that, I went back to Zurich, back to the German part of Switzerland, where I had a job uh, at a local company that did everything with Java. And I've, stuck to, uh, I've, I've, I've been stuck with Java ever since. Okay. With PHP, what's... Uh... I also remember the time, and uh, this was like was crazy popular. So 2004, 2005. Yeah. And, and they claimed, you know, you, we don't need transactions. Transactions just stupid. You don't, you don't need transactions. You can ju just uh, do everything without transactions. This was no the common, the common. I remember this exactly because uh, I was also you know approached by projects. So why you do the all the transaction stuff? You know, the PHP guys don't don't need it. And uh, they also didn't have uh, connection pools. What I remember. And then if no. Oracle. Uh, 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 provided uh, prepared statement and connection pooling on the d database side because PHP didn't like that or didn't have that. And what I remember in my workshops, PHP developers were deeply impressed by connection pooling. So this is what we'd have sold, uh, sh uh, show them connection pooling or, or, uh, or data sources. They were deeply impressed. 
Yeah, it was a different world. I mean, everything was, it wasn't needed. I mean, in most of the cases, when you code PHP, you, you design a, a simple website with some uh, interactivity, some dynamic uh, stuff, but it wasn't really made for huge applications. Mm -hmm. You have, you had to put yourself in the mind of what, what was before CGI bin, where everything was coded in C, which was really, really complicated and horrible and slow. And PHP was super fast compared to that and super simple mm -hmm. and ubiquitous. And you didn't actually need these fancy concepts that maybe you needed in banking where everything was in COBOL or started uh, being written in Java now. Mm -hmm. uh, you just had to store maybe, I don't know, a blog post. And if you lost one, maybe once in, in, in a month or something like that, it wasn't maybe that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so MySQL even didn't have, it, it didn't even have uh, constraints, yeah. right? So you couldn't, you had primary key constraints, but no foreign key constraints. You didn't have to check for integrity because usually your schema was very simple. Yeah. It's it's kind of a it's a website and MySQL can very fast uh, build up a lot of connections. So so I, I guess for normal applications it wasn't really needed to have a connection pool. Everything was single threaded in PHP, so you didn't have processes, you didn't have inter-process communication, all that complicated stuff. You didn't need it for so websites. Actually, right? this was the future, right? Because uh, if you think about the CGI bin, you can sell right now as serverless. The, uh, yes. Then, then you don't have you don't <laughs> have connection pools. Then the yeah, uh, yeah, also no transactions. My my SQL you could you know uh, uh, sell right now as a schemaless no SQL actually. Sure. Although now they are they all have these features. So my yeah, SQL built all these features. Yeah. Then the you have to sell it first as no SQL and then reintroduce the feature and sell it right. differently. No, this is what happens. So you have to reinvent. But I mean, in the end, the, the question is, what is it for? What is it built for? And I think for the purposes that PHP was built, you didn't need these features. I mean, you didn't need processes. You didn't need uh, inter-process communication. You didn't build complex systems with PHP. You built websites and. Conversely, I don't think uh, Java is still struggling with this. Java is still trying to be a website also ready uh, technology, which I just think is not meaningful. I, I mean, the Juke website, for example, is built with PHP. Why would I use Java for that? Yeah, my my, my website is, st is static page, not even PHP. Yeah. No, I'm even simpler. It's just uh, yeah, I know, but I needed some includes. You know, I needed oh, to okay. include some common global variables and stuff like that. So I, just for because I needed includes, I, I used PHP. Okay, you are right. But uh, what happened with PHP in one point of time? Uh, they started to adopt all the patterns, and I forgot the frameworks. I saw in conferences they tried to be like Java, and this is what yes. this was completely crazy. So they had the enterprise framework with all the patterns. Okay, this is what I don't get at all. But you see, PHP was built for websites, but then they started thinking, can we also build applications with it? And and that's why they started doing these things. Yeah. Just like JavaScript was built for action listeners, right? Yeah, so you should yeah, have yeah. JavaScript in on-change events and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and now they build entire websites with JavaScript only. Yeah. It, it hasn't been built for that, but, yeah. well, that doesn't keep people from doing it. No. Uh, okay, so now you job with Java. So uh, first, you like yes. PHP or back then? I mean, you are fa fairly sophisticated now. I, I assume you like to work with Scala and then C++, then PHP comes out, you know? No, Java was much better. I mean, Java is type safe to some extent. It has a compiler. It has a language specification. It is backwards compatible. It has a lot of things that PHP really lacked. And, and PHP kind of always felt like we're just going to plug this in here and plug this there and see what happens. And yeah. then you had all, I mean, the, the most horrible things I experienced with PHP was, for instance, when we upgraded from four to five, 
-hmm. They changed incompatibly the uh, the semantics of the assignment operator. I mean, the most important operator yeah. was in PHP 4 was an assignment by copy, and then they changed that to be assignment by reference. Okay. Uh, which is something you would never do, right? I, yeah. You would never change language like that, but they did, and it broke it broke everything. And we couldn't upgrade to PHP 5 forever, but we needed the features as well. So it, it was it was always like that. And in Java, it's completely not like that. I mean, today we're still suffering from the decisions 25 years ago yeah. because they won't remove things. They just won't remove things, so yeah. it's the other extreme. And PHP just broke things all the time. Maybe not as badly as Python or other languages, but it was still it was still a different experience. And, and I preferred Java in the end. I liked PHP for its simplicity for websites, but I was more into building applications than websites anyway, so... Um, for that, I really much, much prefer Java. How you learn Java? At the time. Um, I had some classes at university, but then uh, at my first job after university, company just uh, threw me in the cold water, I guess. Okay, okay. And you and enjoyed I Java started. from the beginning, or was it uh, uh, strange at the beginning? You know, with the Java C and the bytecode and... No, I, I mean, you, I, I don't think anyone who is doing normal stuff ever gets uh, exposed to bytecode. Okay. Right. So it's just completely hidden from you, and it usually just works. Also, garbage collection at the time. I mean, when I started Java, it was Java uh, 1.3, and we just moved to 1.4. Okay. Stuff started working really nicely. I mean, at the university, I, I heard the stories about the early Java and how slow it was at some times. But with Java 4, everything was quite decent already. Yeah. And um, IDEs were really great. I mean, at the time, this was uh, when Eclipse was really big. Mm -hmm. So that was, I think. At the time, it was the most popular IDE, and it was really sophisticated for the time. And, and I mean, you could just start coding Java stuff, and it, it worked really nicely. Compared to PHP stuff, when you do something uh, complex, and I don't know the other languages, but I've had some experience with C++ and building and linking and everything in C++ was really complicated, and you had to write a make file. And in Java, it was kind of quite easy, and even Ant at the time, I thought, was quite quite nicely yeah. designed i really liked and I mean, because it was simple I, I did yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't use it anymore today because it has a lot of flaws but at the time i thought it was really nice solution a declarative language that solves building uh complex things really nicely even if it creates a big mess of itself but uh you always have to compare things with what was there before right yeah. so and yeah, competed no, no. I also use and. so and and was i had to say it was uh Obvious what happens, and as Maven one came out, and some project used it, I I couldn't get you know the points like why are no. this is slow. The Maven one, uh, Maven one was terrible with the with the XML based configuration and uh, the uh, Jelly. This was the uh, programming language in XML, and mm -hmm. uh, for me, I never got it. This was like a fashion, and I was like, okay, go ahead. Uh, but uh, and then Maven two came out. It was way slower than Ant. I still ignore Maven, and then they caught up. In one point, they were a lot faster, and then I was interested mm -hmm. in Maven. This was also mm -hmm. yeah. It's hard to say when it really picked off Maven. I mean, it's been some time, but really at the time, Ant was really state of the art compared to other options. But I, I guess today Maven is the thing, and maybe we'll see how people transition to Gradle. I don't know. Uh, Gradle, I think it was mo was more popular. I would say five years ago, this was a huge, you know, spike. Everyone asked me mm -hmm. about Gradle, and now it just flattened out. So Gradle is there, and Maven is there, and no one is no more excited about build. So you can pick whatever you like, and you just build the stuff, right? Yeah. How it should be. How it should be, yes. <laughs> what you did in the, uh, when was it? 2006 with the, your first Java project? Yes, 2006, yes. Okay. 
So uh, how, how long you spend in the, with the company? What you did roughly? What was it? Was so that with that one, I, I was uh, for three years, uh, three and a half years. And we built, I built um, a small team, a telecom uh, uh, solution where, where uh, companies could uh, uh, check on their uh, call detail records and aggregate stuff and do some reporting. It was mostly Hibernate-based at the time. So Hibernate was uh, in an early stage as well. And, and it was hyped and we used Hibernate to store stuff, but I thought it was um, kind of slow for the purposes that we needed because we needed reporting mostly. And uh, But I got introduced to a lot of interesting concepts there already. And that was that one job. And then I switched jobs to a, a product vendor that built uh, e-banking systems. They're still doing that, of course, um, but I'm, I've left them. In the meantime, so I was there for about four years. And that company was more uh, Oracle-based, so they also did a lot of Java, but uh, I think the bulk of their business logic was written in, in Oracle, either in PLSQL or in, in SQL. Mm -hmm. And they had a very interesting architecture, which I really appreciated and learned a lot from at the time. So first off, most of it was written in SQL, and then the entire presentation layer was written in XSLT. So this uh, e-banking system at the time was from the early 2000s, and, and it was just really, really well designed, in my opinion. It, there was absolutely no need to go with any hype that would uh, uh, go over the Java ecosystem like G JSF at the time or whatever came afterwards. So it was just this old XSLT thing that was completely uh, transformative, completely functional programmed, and, yeah. and no state, and completely stateless, and really easy to understand. Was XSLT was for for you easy to understand? Yeah, it did take some time to get used to. I already yeah. had it in university, and and uh, I mean, but in the end, the programming model is really simple. You have a, a stream of XML elements, and you match them, you pattern match them, and you transform yeah. them to some other stream of XML elements, and that's it. You're done. And of course, there's the syntax. You can you can uh, lament the syntax and complain about the curl, the diagonal brackets, blah blah. But I never cared about that very much because I thought the, the programming model of XSLT and, and that of, of SQL, of course, as well, mm -hmm. are, are very much similar. You always have complete statelessness. You have a functional programming environment. You're doing declarative stuff. You don't care about algorithms at first until maybe something is slow. But until then, you don't care about it. You just care about how you transform your streams of data. Okay. And with that model... Um, to me, it was really simple to to implement a really even even complex change request mm -hmm. from the customer. For, to me, it maybe took a few hours because you just have to tweak here and tweak mm -hmm. there, and then you're done. Okay. No state transfer, no not a lot of tests needed because you didn't have side effects. Never, and um, I really loved that. What I remember recently is what you could do back then and still probably can. You could perform the XSLT transformations in browser. You remember that? Yes, yes, I remember. <laughs> you know whether it still works, but this would be a co actually cool thing, right, to try it out because you could actually uh, output XML and in browser yeah. load the style sheet, and and this was put actually a really nice, right? Yeah, it, it worked well for some cases. Yeah, it still does. I and guess you don't want to do it this way in the end, but uh, because one problem with XSLT is. Um, you, because you can't have state, it's very difficult to have sessions and stuff like that. So you either have to hack your way around that, because sometimes you need statefulness. Mm -hmm. um, but for simple things, if it's really just a presentation, it could replace CSS. 
for instance. Yeah. So if you want to, instead of using CSS, you want to do everything with HTML, you can do it with XSLT. But even with XSLT, you could actually, yeah, because, uh, or you could, uh, wait, no, even better. You could, uh, with XSLT, you could, uh, no, read the XML, then uh, create semantic markup, and you can yes. load, you know, CSS from the side. So just ignore CSS completely with XSLT, so it would just transform XML to semantic markup. So like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. article section and so forth, something with meaning and uh, metadata, and then you can load on top of that uh, uh, CSS and make lo look it nice. Sure. This is actually sure. what you should do with your with, uh, Juke page, or not includes, you know. Well, the manual is already that. So the Juke manual is built with XSLT. Ah, very good. In the end, there's a huge XML document, and there's a few XLT uh, style sheets that transform it into a single-page manual, a multi-page manual, or PDF. At nice. some point, it also transformed into EPUB, but I dropped that. <laughs> Not enough time to, to create a style sheet for EPUB, right? Well, it broke at some point, yeah. and then I just left it broken, and no one complained, so I thought no one was actually reading it. Oh, this is normal. <laughs> So I wrote a lot of yeah. manual, you know, and no one read it. So this is, uh, this, yeah. is very, this is this is normal. In in one project, it was a huge project. I was forced to create lots of documentation, and I say never, no, no one would read it. And in the middle of the documentation, I copy and pasted some stuff from science fiction uh, story. Oh yeah, and no one, uh, <laughs> no, one noticed, no one noticed. <laughs> With the, the, right. there was like a transportation system, and in, in, in the middle was started with UFOs and and Perry Roden something. I found something on the internet and copy and pasted. It. Um, interesting. Uh, with uh, the uh, XSLT, what I wanted to mention is back then I was really fascinated by XSLT and what I liked is Cocoon. You remember Cocoon? Uh, I've seen it. I, I've never worked Apache with it. Apache Cocoon was like a pub publishing pipeline or or kind of CMS system for 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 uh, for XSL and XML. XSLT and XML and uh, FOP. I also had to use FOP in order yeah. to generate PDFs. So this was also, uh, and I have to say, I just use XSL without thinking too much about that. I, I mean, it was very good, not nor bad. It was just one tool. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 and I knew it is possible, but I was not, I don't think I was very good on it. It just could, you know, just creates output a simple page. So this is what I could do, right? Yeah. And what I remember, it consumed lots of memory back then. And this and the uh, processing time was not that good, at least not with my tools. Like FOP was. Yeah, uh, I remember that as well. Yeah, yeah. Today we have the hardware for that. I don't think they've drastically improved the implementations mm -hmm. in the meantime. It's not a popular technology anymore, so I don't think a lot of people are investing to improve this. It will come, will come back, right? Like SVG. You know, Batik was huge in 2000, I would say, two or three, and now it's forgotten. Now SVG images are all over the place. So actually, with a little bit yeah. of hype, we could Might reintroduce the, all the libraries again. You're right. Okay, so now, so you worked a lot, a little bit with Hibernate, and uh, the next project was uh, uh, Oracle with no Java at all, right? Or where, No, it, there was a lot of Java as well. So all, everything that had state, when there were JMS systems and, and surrounding systems and messages and, and stuff like that, was written in Java. There's a Java security layer in the middle between the database and the XSLT layer and stuff like that. But most most uh, logic was just routed through this Java layer and without any modifications. So the Java layer didn't actually do much in most of the cases. Mm -hmm. But there was also some Java. Okay. Uh, I assume it was web logic or, or Glassfish or something. Yes. Yeah. How yeah. did you guess? Web logic. <laughs> yeah, web logic. Exactly. Uh, but by the way, I, I, I really like web logic until the version 8. 
And after that, it became bigger and bigger. And one point of time, I said, this is just crazy. I mean, this is, was way too complex. I assume your version was 10 or something like this. I don't know. We, we actually didn't use anything from WebLogic except JMS. Okay. We, 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 just, we just had to use it because uh, the bank insisted on it. But uh, I don't think we used anything. Servlets, of course, and uh, maybe JMS. Okay. And all the rest. We could have deployed just the Java program with a main. This is good. This is actually great. Great, great thing. So if you if you really you know just rely on Java, SE is the best if you can. Well, of course, we needed servlets actually, so I, I don't think we could have deployed. Yeah, but servlets but... is okay. I mean, because you know parsing yeah. the understanding HTTP is <laughs> way no, too much. No, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and okay, and uh, you you are still no, you left the company. When was it? Two thousand. Yes. So at the time, I already started developing Juke. So Why? once I left the company where I worked with Hibernate, I thought um, the folks there built a query builder around Hibernate. So at the time, Criteria API was not a thing yet. Mm -hmm. Hibernate had maybe a, a few features to simplify where clauses, but they built something where, where they can build almost the same thing as the Criteria API today with Hibernate. And I thought the idea was kind of neat. And when I left the company, I, I took a break for about two months and I experimented with the idea <clears throat> because I thought this could be done better. Uh, in a better way, in a more fluent way, with interfaces that uh, cascade and return interfaces such that it really feels like like SQL or like uh, HQL. So uh, at the time I decided I, I didn't want to base this on, on HQL. I wanted to base this idea on SQL because it's much more powerful than HQL mm -hmm. uh, will ever be because SQL is a huge standard yeah. by now. And I, I created this library and then I started the other job and, and I wanted to introduce the idea at the other job where we did the e-banking system and they said, oh, we already have that. We have something similar. And they also had a query builder. So I guess it was at the time and in the 2000s where everyone built their own query builders in-house, yeah. uh, which they needed for dynamic SQL, of course. I mean, if you have a lot of where clauses that are dynamic and everyone has that, uh, and occasionally maybe a join that is dynamically added, you need some way to protect everyone from SQL injection yeah. and sy syntax errors. So they everyone builds a SQL builder then. I also built a one. It was called QLB, yes. query, lang query language build, I think. And my was just one, I think, two classes in one class with a builder pattern yeah. inside, you know. So you could just say select. It will like select from where I remember the builder methods. And in the end, you can say build, yes. which just concatenated, you know, all the strings, which was primitive. Exactly. So that's already a big a big win. So you don't you don't oh, get syntax you. errors so anymore. No, no. Okay. Now I have to <laughs> you know, find the source code and republish it again. <laughs> right. And then you're one of uh, hundreds of these ones because it's really simple to do that for just select from where and you actually need it, right? So if you have dynamic where clauses, you really need this protection from yeah, yeah. syntax errors and and all the the other waste of time and. Yeah, everyone did that. So this was lucky for me. So I, I uh, instead of donating my idea to my new employer, I actually had the time to do that, to continue doing that in my free time. At the end, uh, it started growing. It started getting more interesting. And uh, for IP protection reasons, I started uh, reducing my workload at the employer to 80% and rewrote the entire thing again uh, uh, in version 2. So Juke 2 was born then. And a lot of companies started using it, and more and more, I I thought this is this when, is when um, Ju uh, Juke two was born. When was it? Which year? I don't know Juke two, but Juke one was born in two thousand six. So Juke okay. two maybe two thousand eight or something okay. like that. 
it was already quite adopted. So a lot of people were using it, not as today, but uh, I don't know. I had a very busy issue tracker, a lot of people using it. And at the time, there was also an alternative project called Query DSL, uh, which had a different approach. They abstracted over uh, a SQL and um, JPQL and other languages. Mm-hmm. So they abstracted over many things and Juke. From my perspective, only should abstract or SQL. So they were mainly, at some point, they were mainly these two uh, query builders in Java. Mm-hmm. And of course, Criteria API, which uh, hardly anyone uses uh, from, from what I can see. Uh, a lot of people use it if they must, but they exactly. tend to prefer query DSL. Exactly. I would say the, the, uh, the Criteria uh, API from JPA, this is what, what, what I know. Yes. Uh, it is, uh, it, we use it if we have to, <laughs> and this is usually yes. if you have dynamic, you know, the work laws. If you concatenate yes, exactly. full form, so for this particular part, I force myself to use this because I I cannot remember even how it starts. Exactly. Start, That's and the then point. if you have it, then then you have it, and then anything else we just use normal with previous uh, named named queries exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, wait, wait a second. I would like to interrupt you first. Uh, how yes. you got the name to Juke? The name, uh, it's just an accident. So it, it stands for, the J is uh, recursive. It stands for J, uh, Juke, and then object-oriented querying. Very good. You know. And what was your very first working feature or first commit of Juke? It's always interesting, you know, if you did something, what was it? What was the very first commit? Was it nights? Was it mornings? You know, you remember the very first commit? I don't, but I think it was, uh, one of the first ones was store procedure support. No one else did that. Okay. So if you want to call a store procedure with JDBC or with JPA, it's just a big pain mm-hmm. in the butt because you have to remember all the bind variables, input and output parameters, and register parameters. Uh, a code okay. generator, a code generator that could uh, just generate stops for store procedures, which was common practice everywhere else. So if you had a web service, you would generate the stop. You, if you had an RMI call, you would generate the stop. Why not the stop for a store procedure? Mm-hmm. Right. So no one did this. Not even Oracle. Mm-hmm. Well, Oracle had a product, but no one uh, knew it. And I think now it's deprecated. They publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, but for other databases, uh, there I, didn't, I don't think there existed a popular tool to generate stops for store procedures. So I think that was one of the first features. And do then, of course, select uh, from where. Do you remember where. SQL J? You know about that? Yeah, yeah, I know it. I've learned it as well. And then I think outside of university, no one ever used it, but uh, I've learned it at the university. Okay. So um, um, I actually used that. I just tried everything out. So, and SQLJ is interesting. Yeah. So it's like annotations with uh, SQL, uh, which generated code, right? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, Java never picked up on, on preprocessors like C did mm-hmm. before. I mean, in, C, in the C and C++ world, this was done all the time. So you, Pro, uh, ProStar. ProC. ProC. How do you pronounce it? ProC? Yeah. With the asterisk. Yeah. So that that's just the same thing as SQL J, more or less, right? So yeah. it, it's a good idea for static SQL. It works nicely. You don't have to write the glue code, which is boring. Mm-hmm. So you can just pop in your SQL statement, just like in PL SQL, like in the store procedure languages. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think in in PL SQL, it's it's uh, solved really nicely as well. You have the SQL statement, and it interacts with the PL SQL code, and you don't have to care about cursors and resources. You can just iterate. A select statement, and and that's a model I wanted to follow with Juke as well. So in the end, Juke is the, it's kind of the same thing, the same philosophy oh, as okay. PL SQL. So you just embed the SQL language in the Java language, and it, it feels like it's a it feels like Java is the procedural language with the SQL language embedded in it. So okay. that's that was always my goal. Okay, uh, the Pro C or a Pro C plus plus. What I actually started with that in my first commercial project was with that. Not true, but one of the first. And uh, it was code generated 
C++ code was generated from the SQL with the Pro C, and then SQL J came out, and uh, and yeah. Sun said, okay, there's like a preprocessor, and this is why I learned SQL SQL J to see you know whether it's similar to the C C++ stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a pity it never really picked up momentum. Yeah. It was a great idea, better than using JDBC directly in most cases. Uh, you had to re- rewrite. Uh, juke to, to version 2 just because of IP protection? Yeah, there were other reasons as well, but this is one reason. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think my employer would have really minded. Uh, I really like them and they're still customers, but uh, according to Swiss law, if you work somewhere 100%, then uh, you actually don't own your IP that you create in your free time. It's, it's oh. kind of weird. So I'm not sure about the law in detail, but um, the, the, the thing is you, you're not supposed to compete with your employer when you're employed 100%, especially also because they have a right to your uh, to your presence and to your uh, uh, performance. And if you work maybe 200%, 100% for an employer and 100% in your free time, then you're always going to be tired, etc. So it's kind of an employer protection law in Switzerland. So, sounds like slavery to me, you know. Yeah, well, it kind of depends. I mean, there must have been precedence cases, right? So maybe someone actually used all the knowledge they had attained in the employment phase, but actually didn't deliver it to the employer, but to themselves, I don't know, and then became competitors. There must have been a precedent for these laws. So I just didn't want to run any risks. No. So I, I did this step. Yeah, it's actually a good idea also to refactor. I, I, I assume if you start with something, it's usually not yeah. that great, at least in my opinion, what I start. And then if I rewrite it, I'm more much happier afterwards. Yes, and at the time there were almost no users, so I didn't break a lot of stuff. Okay, so the, the very first uh, the very first version of Juke, how it worked? The same as today, but the DSL was not as sophisticated. Okay. So uh, it was a query builder, but I didn't have the idea of making it look exactly like SQL yet. So it was kind of a procedural query builder that did all the features that were needed, but it didn't feel right. So today, um, I think that, that that's also one of the biggest problems uh, I've seen with alternatives is that they get lured into thinking, oh, if I just name this function, I don't know, uh, uh, slice or whatever is a fancy name in Kotlin or in Scala or whatever, people will understand. And I think mixing these terms is really overwhelming. I, I always wanted to have everything look exactly like SQL. So if you know SQL, I, I mean, if you know with a K, yeah. if, you do, if you're if uh, you sophisticated with SQL, <laughs> then you will understand everything uh, in the Juke API right away. It will be exactly where you will expect it. You, will, you don't actually have to learn Juke. That was always my goal. Of course, there's always a, a caveat and there's always an edge case, yeah. but... But if you if you know SQL has select from where group by join whatever, you're just gonna write exactly that in Juke and writing and reading will be super easy. I think I've studied a lot of other query builders and and at some point every one of them got sidetracked by uh, some cleverness in in designing alternative syntax for SQL. They all tried to fix SQL mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of good reasons why SQL should be fixed. I mean a lot of syntax is weird, but in the end. I thought, I'm not the one to judge this. I mean, if someone exactly. wants to write this kind of style of SQL, they have a SQL statement in mind, mm-hmm. and they're proficient with SQL, I'm not going to judge them and say, oh, in my world, you have to do it this way. So that was the biggest change between Juke 1 and 2. To change the entire API, well, the old API is still here. I didn't deprecate it, but there's a new API on top of it. This is the DSL API, and now everything is uh, written in terms of the DSL that looks exactly like the statement you have in mind that you want to write in SQL. 
Mm -hmm. So this makes uh, transforming statements back and forth a lot easier. I'm completely with you. I would say uh, yeah. if you if you like you know to to write a persistence layer and SQL or a database is the reference, so just you know, take the standard of the database and just build yes. on it. If you introduce your exactly. own stuff, no chance because your world, regardless how how popular Jujuk is, is always smaller than the SQL world. And the sequence, exactly. Uh, yeah, so this is absolutely the right decision. So, uh, uh, and and the mixing and matching is is really bad. I really hate it because, for instance, I'm uh, regardless whether I like uh, Juke or not, but I don't like to invest too much time with a new library because uh, what uh, yes. already our conversation you know showed us that uh, libraries tend to die, and uh, why I should you know invest time in some something which disappears in in in, in one month, but if I know SQL. No, I can build on the knowledge and then I can use databases exactly. and I can use your library. So then I don't mm -hmm. have to invest too much time to learn your library. And uh, this is what makes it, for me at least, more interesting, right? And that's the other thing uh, that, that I've always put in, in the core of the design of Juke is uh, I'm assuming that if someone is using Juke, they are thinking in terms of database first. So mm -hmm. they will always design the database first and design it really well with all the relational algebra and all the normalization rules, etc. Mm -hmm. that we uh, know and love. And they will they will design a big system that is there to last. So I've seen a lot of big systems where the database is 40 years old, maybe. It evolved and it will never be changed. And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe if someone on the C-level says, okay, we have to use uh, DB2 instead of Oracle now for some uh, management reason. Mm -hmm. Okay, there will be one migration, but it will be the same kind of database they had before. They will not refactor it. They will just translate it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really the core of, the, of the, this type of application. I mean, there exist other applications, of course. But this type of application needs a tool that accepts that the database is first. This tool, Juke, this product will never, will never make the assumption that it will go first, that it will design the, uh, the database for you. It will always assume you are designing the database before, and maybe it's 40 years old, and maybe it will still last for 40 years. And not even Juke is the thing that will die. We've all seen it that people just migrate from Java to JavaScript. Yeah. Right? And they... They will they will change the entire presentation layer. They will change the entire business logic on on the on the middleware uh, layer, but they will not change the database. It's mm -hmm. unlikely because data is so heavy and has so much mass, and the migration is so dangerous. Yeah. It will put the business in in, in a huge yeah. risk. Yeah. They will not change that. Mm -hmm. So whatever they're using afterwards, they, don't, they shouldn't have to uh, worry about any decision they made because of Juke, mm -hmm. because Juke will make everything work that your database can make uh, mm -hmm. work for you. So, for instance, this has always been a big design goal in Juke compared to JPA, for instance. Uh, I think JPA is mostly surrogate key oriented, right? So you have an entity and you always have an ID annotation on every entity. And very rarely you're using something like an embedded ID or a natural ID. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really work very well. So, for instance, you can't have more than one natural ID in SQL. You can have as many IDs as you want. Mm -hmm. You can have overlapping unique keys. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I, I recently did a, a Twitter poll. And One question. This is a really weird thought. Before, huh? uh, you like SQL? Yes, I love it. I love it. Uh, and how yeah. good were you with SQL as you started Juke? Or uh, quite good, I think. Okay. Not as good as today, but uh, quite good. I, I was tuning a lot of Oracle SQL. Okay. And you liked SQL back then as well? Yeah. Okay. So this was interesting because uh, I wanted Why? to you know find out whether you started Juke, you know, because you hated SQL and you wanted you know to 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 just write something quickly. To fix it. Yeah. 
and uh and, no. and and now you like see okay so now I, so i could so for me now juke uh, looks to me like as jdbc on steroids so you have you know a very yes. convenient way to write performance sql code which uh, is tran translated to java so if you like databases in sql and you don't like to bother with anything else you use juke which generates uh, some java code and then you can use it and and this is perfect tool for i would say for sql or database people or how to call it database engineers how to call it people who design database what's what's the term i i will say i i call these people data centric developers data centric developers who just would like yes. to 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 uh to uh to make their job with uh, queries or whatever and then you know just spend as as little time as possible in java so you're just creating you know the sql queries or whatever and then you're done right yes so juke fixes one big flaw of sql while not neglecting uh, the good parts so <laughs> sql is not composable right so the sql language especially if it's used as an external dsl if it's just a string is not composable the syntax is a little bit different if you have a select statement on the top level or on the on on a derived table or in a correlated subquery you always have to adhere to slightly different syntax rules which are a bit of a pain to to remember especially if you have to support several databases mm -hmm. several products so mm -hmm. if you have to support mysql and oracle it's a little bit different and juke standardizes on on the dialects and juke also allows for writing dynamic sql so i think dynamic sql is uh something that you can really not do very well with the sql language itself mm -hmm. it's really difficult you can do simple dynamic queries maybe with string concatenation or bind variable tricks but if you have something really complex uh, dynamic joins or whatever it's it's really simple with juke you will never have syntax errors you will never have any issues and you can have super complex queries so i think some of the most complex queries i've seen with customers have a thousand of lines of juke code which is crazy Mm -hmm. uh, a thousand of lines of juke code and it's all assembled dynamically with maybe hundreds of uh, common table expressions mm -hmm. and derived tables and many many joins and all with if else's in the middle and i don't think this would be possible with any other technology this kind of thing so that's not something everyone has but everyone maybe, has maybe, maybe sql. sql j you know <laughs> yeah try it <laughs> um what interests me right now i would like to read from a table some data what is the first step with SQL, uh, with Juke? So how to start with Juke? So what I yeah you have a, you have one object that's the entry point of the DSL. That object is ubiquitous when you work with Juke. It's called the DSL context. Mm -hmm. um, there are two DSL types. So one is for static usage, and that's called DSL. And the DSL context is for uh, dynamic usage when you want to run the query. So you 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 will always set up your your whatever your uh, repository if you're using Spring or your DAO or whatever to have this injected for you. And from then on that on that object you just type select. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, various options like select, select distinct, etc. And what is select is an interface. It's a method. Method and it will return another. Yes. You so. you never see classes. You always always see interfaces. You don't know what's behind, you don't care about that. It's just an interface with a lot of select methods on it. Mm -hmm. And then you type that, and then you close the, bra the brackets, and then the next thing you want to write is from. So you mm -hmm. type from, and then there's a method called from, mm -hmm. and that's it. And then uh, you, you continue building your SQL statements just like you would uh, if it were normal SQL, and in the end you write fetch. Fetch, okay. And you get type-safe results because throughout this DSL, Juke will remember what columns you put in the select clause, and, the, and it will remember, okay, you had three columns, string, integer, and long, and... 
this will produce a record over three columns of these types. Mm -hmm. And this is your record. So the result set belongs to Juke. You are not returning result yes. sets. You, be told, uh, yes. you are wrapping result set or whatever. Exactly. So you can always access JDBC if you want. There's always a, a, a how do you say, a backdoor to access uh, the low-level parts, but usually don't. So you, you never see JDBC. This is active record pattern. You, you remember? You you can you have that option. So if you don't actually project anything, if you don't have any expressions in the select clause, you can just select the entire table, and then you get a table record that is type safe. So there's a code generator that generates your entire schema as Java object as well. Mm -hmm. So you have everything available, and then you 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 get that record, and you can modify it and store it back to the database. So okay. for very simple CRUD operations, there's a solution as well. Okay, but the code generator is an option. I don't have to use it, right? So usually I'm working with the builder. Yes, but you're going to miss out on a lot of great okay. features, especially type safety and a lot of advanced features. Like uh, there's uh, the possibility of doing implicit joins like in JPQL, like in Hibernate. You can write uh, customer.address.city.country mm -hmm. as a path, and that will generate joins for you, but only if you use the code generator. Okay. So the code generator generates like the metadata from the tables, right? So do you know yes. like the builders, which you can use then yes, yes. statically, right? No, the builders are, are there. You can use the builder without that, but you have uh, uh, the entire metadata generated from the code. And the builders are using the the, the metadata behind the scenes, right? The generated yeah, the, the metadata is is implementing the same types, but you can uh, you can also just use strings if you if you have a, for instance if you have a completely dynamic database. You don't know the tables at compile time. You can still use Juke. You just have to generate your. You don't generate your your, your data. You you actually use it with strings. Okay, so you have uh, with Juke you have uh, one entry point. With the entry point, it uh, is like the context, and the context has a diverse yes. interface with lots of methods which reflect one-to-one -one SQL statements. I can call exactly. the methods. The, the methods return other interfaces with other methods which reflect other SQL statements as closely as possible. And yes, then if exactly. I call it and call it at the end fetch, you remembering remembering behind the scenes what I called. So the, the entire chain with metadata is stored somewhere. It is intermingled mm -hmm. with the generated metadata from database, probably right. Exactly. Of time, otherwise you will be object, and now you know more. And you do some bytecode manipulation behind the scenes, or is no, just no, no, no. Cool. So there is no byte body, nothing. No. And that's great. There's a slight option. I mean, you can use a, a mapper mm -hmm. that is built in where that uses a reflection, but otherwise, it's all it's all. There's no magic at all. It's it's all straightforward. And all prepared debuggable. statement. You recognize that this was caused yeah. twice, and you create prepared statements behind the scenes, or how? Uh, there's always a new prepared statement being created because okay. uh, um, there's been this discussion a few times, and and some JDBC drivers, for instance, the Oracle one has a prepared statement cache itself. So it, it caches the statement. The big work is not uh, the creation of the statement on the client side, but on the server side. So uh, you can use JDBC uh, tools to cache stuff if you want to do that. Juke always creates a prepared statement and binds the variables for you. So you don't see that that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to remember bind variable indexes. You just place your ID in the middle of your where clause and, and Juke will calculate the right bind variable index for you. Mm -hmm. That's actually great. So uh, uh, what I suspected that they are using uh, behind the scenes uh, bytecode generation a little bit, but uh, if you just, no. just plain Java and 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 the code generator, you uh, you are connecting via JDBC and with the JDBC metadata, you get the information, and then you generate 
with XSLT, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Some Java code. I have not thought about that. Maybe I should. Yeah. No, it's it's just a it's just a templating written handwritten templating to generate the Java code. So you have options of gen of connecting to the database with a JDBC driver. Mm -hmm. And then some queries on the dictionary views are run, mm -hmm. uh, not with JDBC directly, but uh, because that really doesn't work. But mm -hmm. uh, that's one option. Or you can you can reverse engineer a, a DDL file with create table statements inside, or you can reverse engineer JPA entities. So there's also an option of using your existing JPA entities. If you're not that um, database first person, you you prefer designing your database with JPA and you want to just use Juke for a couple of reports. Mm -hmm. So Juke can then use behind the scenes Hibernate to reverse engineer your entities and find out what the tables are mm -hmm. and generate metadata from that. And uh, there's also an XML format that you can reverse engineer if you want. So there are various options where you can uh, pull your metadata source from. But usually people will use the JDBC version because maybe they have vendor-specific features like stored procedures and there's no other way to represent them. So they, they will use that. And... Um, uh, Juke will connect to that and find out what the procedure name and okay. parameter types, etc. are. Okay. Yes. What's your business? So can we kind of buy support for Juke or what? I mean, or is just the hobby project from you? No, no, it's not a hobby at all. It's uh, It's been a hobby at the beginning. And then when I uh, stopped working for that e-banking company, I created a company that uh, licenses Juke. So it's now a dual licensed uh, piece of software. A mm -hmm. uh, product that started out as uh, being licensed commercially for co commercial database support. So if you use Oracle or any other commercially licensed database, there are commercial drivers in Juke. If you use Postgres and other open source databases, there are open source drivers. So there's the Juke open source edition, which is Apache licensed but still. And the commercial edition have the commercial drivers. But now um, since about one year, I've started adding, uh, slightly changing that business model. It's worked great, but I think it, there's an even better model that uh, works better if, if there are premium features. Mm -hmm. So I'm adding more and more premium features for power users such that uh, also users that so far used the Juke Open Source Edition can can be upsold to, to have a more wholesome experience with Juke. For instance, uh, the latest version now supports uh, embedded data types similar to JPA. Mm -hmm. So you can have embeddables, but... Uh, as I said before, in SQL, it's very use. It's usually the case that you have overlapping uh, sets of columns, like constraints, and for instance, overlapping embeddables is a commercial feature. Mm -hmm. Also, mapping all uh, constraints to embeddable is a commercial feature. Or uh, another commercial feature is the support for procedural languages. So, if you want to have a while loop inside of your database, uh, for instance, a PL SQL while loop and generate that. You you also can do that dynamically now with Juke, mm -hmm. so that's also a commercial feature. So in the end, I'm hoping eventually to to also offer Oracle and SQL Server support for free again. Not sure if it's open source, but for free, and slightly uh, shifting and moving the business towards offering premium features instead of uh, basing the license solely on the on the drivers. But historically, it was only on the drivers, and that's the business that's been. Uh, what do you mean by drivers? It means if I would use uh, Oracle driver with open source, it will reject working. Well, you, you, it just wouldn't work. The, the the dialects are so different. I mean, in Hibernate, Hibernate doesn't produce very sophisticated SQL. It's quite simple with a couple of joins, so that's quite standard SQL. But Juke uses so many vendor-specific features behind the scenes, so I don't think you would get Juke to work the Juke Open Source Edition to work with Oracle. But I mean, you could, can try it, of course. 
Nothing prevents you from trying it. No, but, but for simple table would work. But for so yes, yeah, this yes. is what I wanted. Just but because you you mentioned drivers, you don't you don't have specific juke drivers. It means I cannot no. use the open source juke with uh, a yes. uh, Oracle database because what is lacking the translation layer, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this now I understood what. Okay, it, that, it's lacking fair. the code that's needed. Yes, so the the code base is almost the same. This is a good mm -hmm. model because uh, what what I notice is more and more people are moving from Oracle to Postgres. <laughs> so therefore, yeah. So they yeah. pay me now, and they will continue paying because they're so happy with the product. Yeah, and this but it's is actually really good to migrations. I mean, I've I had a couple of customers. For instance, the case was a SQL Server to to Postgres, and they were already using Juke, and they <coughs> they had maybe 500 SQL queries or even more, and they just had to switch to dialect and maybe tweak two two queries that didn't work out of the box and and then everything worked. Exactly. So for them, migrating a complex application with a lot of SQL was uh, no problem at all for the application. This could be side. actually a, like an enterprise version of, of Juke as well. You could, uh, you know, generate the metadata from one database. Then you have, you know, everything what you need, and then you can apply the same on the on the other database. So you know, a, a database uh, mapping tool as feature. You can already do that today and yeah, for free I mean, on the website. There's a translation tool on yeah, the website. Yeah, you have to hide the free feature and sell a commercial feature. This is uh, what yeah, we're talking yeah. about business. Yes, sure. Yeah. Business working smoothly. I'm, I'm currently focusing on getting more market adoption. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, very good because, you know, uh, after my podcast, you can just, you know, sell your business and go to Hawaii, I would say. <laughs> so, uh, I'll give you twenty percent on that then, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how we met? I just wanted to say, the first time I saw you at the uh, Rappersville. It's CH Open workshop. Yes, days. You're right. So we say just hey, I remember. It's like a nice guy. Who who, who is he? Is okay, this is the uh, Juke guy. Okay. That was and for trainings, right? This uh, I, the training I, I, days. Yeah, it was like one workshop day. I did properly microservices, and I assume you did something with Juke. I don't remember. I saw your I saw your talk. I, I mean your training. You've yeah, you, you displayed a couple of uh, Java Enterprise Edition features and NetBeans and stuff like that. Yeah, probably. This is what I usually do. Now I Visual Studio Code or whatever. Uh, it's always the same, yeah. but uh, the ID is very, you know, in my talks. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> the title. But um, so I uh, said, so, okay, nice. And and I, I wanted to talk with, with you, but I had no time back then. And then I saw you at a keynote, Jack's keynote. Yeah, I remember, remember that? that too. That and was this great. was great. I say, this was one of the best keynotes I ever saw because you oh, had, really? you know, I remember you now the slides with a huge amount of annotations, you know, and comparing <laughs> it to, 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 yeah. uh, to your joke. It's like, this is actually funny and, and entertaining. I have no idea whether it was keynote, but I assume it was the largest. It was, yes. Yeah. Well, it wasn't intended as a keynote, but uh, the keynote speaker couldn't make it, so they upgraded me. Ah, was really great. This was actually yeah. a good idea because usually the keynotes yeah. are not that great, I would say. And but this one, I was I was amazed. And and I my talk was after yours, and I say, and now I'm completely you know disturbed because uh, this was so nice. I I I, I thought up the, the entire time about about the thing, right? Um, Sorry for that. <laughs> no problem. And uh, and Juke. So what what people ask me always, you know, what's my opinion about Juke? And this is uh, this is why I wanted you know to to talk with you, because my opinion is always uh, similar to yours. By the way, what I heard is uh, if you can just do something with Java SE, go ahead. If it's not enough, my world is Java, Jakarta, and MicroProfile, Quarkus, Helidon, stuff like that. So like then we can you know expand on that and and do with that. And if you're happy with JPA. We are so we are fine, and a Juke special thing before if projects where we have a lots of JDBC Juke mm -hmm. could be an option. 
The only problem Always. is what happens when after this podcast, you know, you become so rich, you know, say I I I don't like, you know, to have the version five. So the dependency is the problem. The only problem, what I see. And uh, what on the other person? Yeah. But well, try what? using any Oracle or Google product and tomorrow they will kill it. Google is I another. mean yeah, yeah. it's not an argument. It's not one. I mean, I understand the concerns, but ultimately, I mean you, you have the same risks with every product. It's always total cost of ownership uh, management. Yeah. What uh, is good in your case? Because you're not using any, you know, byte body and uh, byte uh, byte manipulation stuff, I, I say it could be easy to understand if something happened. Someone could pick the you know open source edition and try you know to fix by her or himself, right? So this is this is the option. What you can do? Uh, the paying customers also have this option. I mean, with every uh, commercial license, you get the source code and uh, the right to modification. A lot of customers patch Juke, uh, the commercial edition of Juke. I mean, it doesn't feel different from the open source edition. They have all the information they need. They can continue maintaining it. Yeah, this is what I meant. So if you can, you know, mm -hmm. if it is, uh, you mentioned Google, for instance. Yeah, this Google Web Toolkit. I did exactly the same arguments. There's technology from hell. If this breaks. No one can fix that. But uh, in your case, what I understood is, you know, is a chain of builders. It's a more or less straightforward Java code. More or less, of course, it's complicated because there are lots of knowledge behind. But if you would disappear one point of time, someone else could pick up and continue with the juke, right? So it's not like uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is what I wanted to hear, right? From what what the opinion is, because similar similar questions I get uh, regarding Lombok all, all and over again. It's okay. What happens if the two guys just lose interest, you know, in Lombok? This is not that unlikely and uh and then we have a bigger problem right and uh or not we this is in longer yeah. term projects this is uh me me as a consultant this is just fun migrating back and forth but what i see is you know uh, more and more clients are really tired with constant migration not in java more javascript they are very sensitive already you know you don't not not again another framework <laughs> yeah and, and uh and and this uh and this is an interesting discussion always so i think it's important to, to check out the track record duke has a track record of 12 years now and it's been uh maintained continuously and very backwards compatibly for 12 years so that's not going to change um on the other hand something new will pop up all the time before juke there was other options after juke there will be other options and and it's not it's not like you're you're betting your money on on some really really complex uh, application server that runs your business. It's mm -hmm. it's a library. I think I think it's always important to see these concerns within the context they're in. It's a library. It can be maintained by anyone. It's not like if you if you patch it, you, you're just going to corrupt your entire data and your business goes bankrupt. It's it's really not mm -hmm. that big of a problem. I mean, we we replace parts all the time in complex systems for many many reasons and. Uh, a vendor going out of business or uh, losing interest or, or whatever reason is always a risk with every every vendor. And I think it's just much less of a risk with a library than with a server. Yeah. And if I, I mean, can, I wouldn't. If I can buy, you know, support from Juke Inc. As long as Juke uh, uh, exists or, or what is the name of the company? Data Geekery. Data Geekery. Geekery. Like Geekery. This, okay, stuff. this is a cool name. So. Always be, uh, buy some from Data Geekery. Um, then as, uh, this is the solution to the problem, actually, right? So yes. if I have a problem, I go to you, fix it for me, perfect. But yes. uh, running uh, an open source version of something and hoping, you know, that uh, uh, in one time the bug is going to be fixed could be, could be an option if you dedicated time, you know, to understand that. So uh, mm -hmm. I would say in what I t said, 
is what I'm telling in my clients in larger projects. Either you have time or you have money, right? So uh, if you have exactly. time, you can just, you know, download the entire open source world, play with it and fix everything by yourself. But then you have spent a considerable amount of time and some money, you know, maintaining the project. Or pick and choose as, as, as few as possible critical libraries and buy support and let maintain the guys, you know, the, the library. Absolutely. And with the service, you're absolutely right. So for me, I performed a code review recently and there are lots of, you know, direct dependencies to the server. For me, is no-go. So if we have application services, runtimes, you only allowed, you know, to use these Jakarta or MicroProfile APIs. Otherwise, it's pointless. If someone uses direct, you know, Glassfish or Whitefly dependency, which happens really, I say, hey, I mean, in the next version of the server, we have to migrate the entire thing or you forget it, it won't even start because now in Kubernetes and whatever, sometimes the images gets upgraded and and, and with, without any knowledge, right? So, um, yeah. So uh, this is different worlds, but you're right. So if you have server and you are di directly dependent on the on the SPI, then uh, for me it is uh, even worse. Yeah, and I didn't even mean that kind of server. I actually meant the database server, right? That also manages your data. Yeah. In the end, right? So the, the, in the end, I mean, this, these risk discussions always have to be um, put in, in context also of the value you're getting. So according exactly. to the lines of what you're saying is. I can't solve this problem with anything else because this thing here solves this problem so well for me. I'm saving so much time. So compared to the risks that it introduces, it's it's just definitely worth it. Exactly. So it's it's always uh, it's always you have to put risk and value in balance. And yeah. I think given that Juke is pretty much the only uh, product right now that is maintained so actively for Dynamic SQL, for instance, if you have a really complex Dynamic SQL, I mean, you could do it with Criteria API, sure, but you will spend a lot more time for a lot less uh, dynamic SQL than with Juke, for instance. So you will get that much more value. And I mean, the risk, yeah, it's it's, it's maybe there, but uh, for the last 11 years, it was insignificant. So I think you can move much faster and provide more value to your own customers. And then uh, I, that definitely justifies the risk. Yeah, the risk is that. increasing because, uh, you know, the older you get... <laughs> <laughs> I had the risk. Uh, but you, you are now yeah, like, but I, I get wiser as well. I yeah, make better and more informed yeah, decisions. You look right now like, I have to say, the juke keeps you young. So like a 25-ish or something <laughs> like this, right? So oh, really? We have uh, 25 years to go with, with juke. But you are absolutely right. The risk is there. But if you before I write you know complex criteria queries everywhere, juke may be the option. But then the consequence would be I would buy support. But, but uh, this, I totally agree. Nee, nee, I, mean, I can't no, disagree no, with that. I'm just f forget about you. Just <laughs> say <laughs> about because you know picking for such. I would say no. We would like to save no time on playing then with open source version and hoping that it works is strange because we are doing this to save time, you know, and money. And uh, I assume if I have a commercial support and I'm pinky, you say, okay, I have a problem here. You will help me in I don't know in certain amount of time or whatever or, or fix the problem or, or whatever and and in open source it really takes time i mean this is what i'm doing as consultant i see it all you know all the firefighting projects or whatever what usually happens is not that they pick chuk they pick a library like the the last library of the month from java magazine which doesn't make any sense it's just there and they forgot about that and and then it disappears or whatever and then we have a problem so i have lots of such a project so um mm -hmm. i'm very sensitive with external dependencies and uh if there is a sensitive dependency then uh, external dependency <laughs> sensitive dependency as well <laughs> then i would ask the developer what is now the essential added value of the library 
and, course. If they tell, and if they yeah they say of course usually there is not so um yeah, no, I yeah, recently, you, so recently a microservice project very fresh one they inter they built their own logging framework again and everything's like why are you doing this <laughs> we, are, we we don't need it anymore exceptions mapping and whatever and 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 uh and juke is just another you know another box what they like and 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 uh this is why the discussion is so interesting and i'm completely with you and to, you mentioned javascript javascript the same story we delete everything except some essential libraries and some libraries are just great moment.js if you have do a lot so you know of date operations or whatever or there's the d3.js for charting you cannot just build a chart you know, this is a juke, something like this. You have uh, no crazy SQL operations or a lot of data. Uh, you are the database-driven person. It uh, seems like juke is the right option, right? Yes. And again, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, even I have I've recommended customers uh, to not use juke. I mean, you have five SQL queries and two tables mm -hmm. in a really, really small service. Why? Why? Just use JDBC directly. JDBC yeah. can do that. I mean, I, I appreciate you love Juke and you absolutely want to use it, but here, maybe, maybe don't. Yeah. Use it in the next project. Yeah. And uh, what I also see, just opinion uh, uh, beyond uh, Juke, um, what I see in projects uh, from architecture, from yeah architectural perspective, uh, uh, who are in deep trouble is, there were projects and are still, who try to build perfect database schema and perfect object model. And this, in my opinion, cannot work. So what you should do is either try, you know, to focus on database or focus on Java. If you normalize the database uh, to the nth level, what you what you will have to do is you will get lots of objects which are interconnected with joints and uh, not really convenient to work with, regardless whether they are your records or my JPA or whatever. But uh, so therefore, what, what what we try to do either, you know, say, OK, what, what is the master? Is the database mind the, the single source of truth or my objects? And uh, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we focus on objects and we pick JPA and it generates crappy database, but it's OK. If it's fast enough, no one cares. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, and otherwise, if we start with a database, then we generate from database JPA or we use Juke for more complex stuff. It doesn't matter. And uh, then the database is the single source of truth. So we would uh, try, you know, to uh, to to keep the database uh, first uh, or database mm -hmm. first uh, approach. Right. What's your Absolutely. opinion about that? Well, I think I've I've not yet seen a case where the Java first approach would have been the right choice. <laughs> okay. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I haven't seen it. Uh, in my uh, experience, but I think really you have to decide, yes, which 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 side is your driver for whatever reason. I mean, in my opinion, when there's a lot of data, it should always be the database. But as you say, sometimes uh, sometimes your domain model is really complex, but you have uh, only a little amount of data. It, it's not a, a big risk mm -hmm. if you have a crappy database, so you you can migrate it. Mm -hmm. You don't care about if it's stored in MongoDB or in a relational store, especially at the beginning of a project, maybe even it's it's not that important. But I, I'm a bit wary of this because simply because I haven't seen it. So maybe this is just anecdotal evidence. But I think in a large amount, in a large percentage of projects, if you go database first, you're doing yourself a service. Okay. Because... One thing, and that's our fault as vendors and database vendors and tool vendors' fault, is that it's still very hard to get it right. You have to write DDL statements. You have to use Flyware or Liquibase to, mm -hmm. to version control your database because 
It's crazy that we version control our entire code base, but not our database schema. How is that even possible? We really have to be diligent with that. And if we version control also the evolution of our schema, and the next Duke versions will, will focus more on these topics and integrate better with Flyway and, and Liquibase. Nice. If we version control the evolution of our database schema along with the evolution of our client code, everything will be much, much better. And once we start doing that, it's really simple to go database first. Mm -hmm. So there's an initial overhead, but I think it pays off big time every single time. If we if we actually spend the time at the beginning of the project to think a little bit more about our domain, about our logic, about our relational model, and about mm -hmm. the evolution of the model, because yes, it is unknown. Yes, some things cannot be known in advance. But if we prepare for evolving that stuff once we go into production, then the system will be designed better. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I, I, I agree with you. There's probably a couple of cases which I simply haven't seen where, where the other way around is going to help you more. Um, but yeah, I've worked mostly with large systems, and with larger systems, it's never a good idea. You're right. In my so larger system, pointless, but I uh, uh, pointless. Also, it's impossible to do such a thing in larger system. But what happens? I also work with uh, several startups, and this is what we are doing. And if you're starting right now with Java, what you get is a couple of uh, let's call it microservices with independent mm -hmm. data databases. So so the database instance is no more that critical. We just use it as a data dump, you know. This is and, yeah. and we uh, will all really regret that. No, if this uh, no I if this, uh I mean I don't like microservices and uh, uh but uh in this particular case it, it makes business sense because it's really independent okay. in the independent pieces. It's not like we are building microservices to build microservices. This is uh but uh, so uh, in, in in such you know smaller projects it works. In one point of time you will have to maintain the database a little bit more because uh, the code which is generated is suboptimal, but it works mm -hmm. surprisingly well for one to two years I would say. And then uh, you will have to do something with you know FlywayDB or whatever. And we use JPA and, and and the developers were happy. So this is not like I told them. I was like we can switch right, sure. whatever you like and they say okay. No, it works well and very surprisingly well, and they were happy, so I know it works. But in all other critical projects, it never works. Mm -hmm. And in some projects, it, uh, we, we are not even allowed you know, to touch the database directly, so we have to, 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 to speak with okay, you know, yeah, whatever, data-centric engineers, whatever. But cool. What I would like to do is to, to, to invite you back in one point of time and talk about microservices, more design. But uh, yeah, um, where people can find you on the internet? Do you have, you know, uh, what is the link to where I can buy licenses from you or commercial support? And uh, Juke.org. Juke.org, okay. Yes. And uh, your Twitter? Do you have Twitter? Yes, Lucas Edder. Mm -hmm. Just without any characters. Lucas Edder in one so word. So Lucas Edder without characters. <laughs> I know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> without underscores. Every, yeah, exactly. Every separators. Okay, perfect. Thank you. It was fun. And I hope we clarified, you know, what is the, the myth behind Juke. And uh, now I understand also better. And uh, yeah, if you use Juke, buy support. Without support, you can toy w w around with, you know, I don't know, with your own database. But uh, for the serious stuff, buy support, right? Perfect. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Thank you very much, Adam.